Welcome to the special edition of the Command Team Corner, where today we're focusing on the COVID-19 vaccine. We're sitting down with Colonel Jamie Reesberg, the Command Surgeon of 1st Special Forces Command, and Major Caitlin Raruka, the Battalion Surgeon of the 92nd Civil Affairs Battalion. Colonel Reesberg, thanks for joining us today to discuss some important facts about this COVID-19 vaccine. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. And Caitlin, so glad you could join us as well. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So let's start the discussion by being totally transparent. This vaccine is 100% voluntary, right? Yes, absolutely, Dan. There's been uh, and, and all the way to the Department of the Army once there be no confusion. This is strictly a volunteer basis as long as the vaccine is under an emergency use authorization, an EUA, uh, which means that it is not mandated by the Army to take it, but it is optional. Okay, so 100% voluntary as long as it's under the EUA. Do we have any idea of when uh, that might change, when the FDA might actually fully approve the vaccine? Great question. Unfortunately, at this time, no. Um, as you know, just part of the Operation Warp Speed process, the FDA has certain milestones that they cannot shortcut, and that includes independent audit from outside agencies to make sure that the vaccine is both safe and effective. Um, so though they completed all their phase three trials, which included all the things you've heard in the news media about multiple subjects being tested and followed, uh, the follow-on process for full-blown full approval, usually with the FDA, they'll follow for 12 to 18 months. So that's great to know, sir. Let's go ahead and cut to the chase, though. Let's get our folks informed. What are the Vax facts? What can you tell us about these vaccines? Well, first off, we know they went through a rigorous testing and validation process. So even though there's a lot of misinformation floating around about Operation Warp Speed, which was a fast-track process, and I think it's important for everybody to understand that at no point was any of the science fast-tracked. So there were no shortcuts in the clinical evaluation of these vaccines. What was shortcutted and what was truncated in terms of that timeline were administrative processes and bureaucratic processes that normally take years going through the FDA. But because of the national urgency or indeed the worldwide urgency of this effort, that was rapidly condensed. And so all the same clinical milestones were met for safety and efficacy, meaning the vaccine works and does what it's supposed to, um, but it was just done on a compressed timeline. So, the other important factor to realize is that both Moderna and Pfizer are, are 94 and 95% effective relative, right, for each vaccine. So Moderna being 94, Pfizer 95% effective in preventing COVID-19, which is the illness caused from SARS coronavirus 2. So given those numbers, that puts those vaccines in the heavy hitters up there with things like the MMR shot other things that are very effective in terms of vaccines to prevent illness. The other thing we know is safety. So we know the vaccine is safe. How do we know that? As part of that standardized FDA process to look at these vaccines, all of the patients that volunteered to get them as part of the clinical trials were followed for over two months to make sure they didn't have any negative effects, and none of them did. So that's good news. That, I think, can give people a lot of confidence that the vaccines are both effective in preventing COVID-19 uh, or the illness related with COVID-19, and that the vaccines have gone through that, that review process. Okay, Major Ruka, what, what can you tell us about these vaccines? I think I'd just like to add on to what Colonel Reesberg said in that um, just for everyone to know, it can take about 10 to 14 days after your second dose of the vaccine for you to become 95% effective. So once we get our first dose, we still need to 
still do all the same precautions, wear our masks, do our social distancing, particularly all the way up until at least 10 to 14 days after the second vaccine. And then to prevent our loved ones from getting disease, we need to continue to do these same precautions when we're out in the community. That's right. Major Aruka brings up a great point, and that is we don't know yet. There's a lot we don't know about COVID-19. And one of the things we don't know is after you've received the vaccine, if you could still be a carrier of it. In other words, can the virus still kind of hang out around your nose, mouth, upper airway? Uh, in which case, wearing the mask will help prevent transmission. Even though you're fully vaccinated, you could, still could be a carrier, which is why the CDC is recommending and the Army will continue to enforce policies of mask wear, social distancing, and restriction of movement requirements as well as quarantine. So what you're telling me, sir, is uh, even after I get both doses of the vaccine, I still need to follow through with all the things we've been doing for, for months now uh, to prevent the spread of the virus. Then why, what's the urgency of me, you know, if we don't know all these things, then why should I, I even consider getting it? I still have to wear a mask. I still have to social distance. I don't even know if I, that keeps me from spreading. What, what's your response to that, sir? That's a great question. I think that's one of the things that we've had a lot of frank conversations with patients and soldiers about, is why get the vaccine if it's not gonna change the fact that I, I have to wear my mask still, or I have to socially distance, or heaven forbid, I'm even exposed to another positive and I still have to quarantine. Why take the vaccine? It's a great question. The answer to that is we wanna get out of this pandemic. We wanna to return to normal business practices, economic practices, and most importantly, we want our population to be safe, right? So 95% effective, like we said, that tells me that if you get the vaccine, you're not gonna get SARS-CoV-2, um, or you're not gonna get the illnesses that, that people have been dying from or becoming critically ill from. That's what we're looking for. We want the exit strategy. We want to beat the virus. We wanna be done with this pandemic, and the vaccine is our fastest way and most effective way to get there. I'd also like to add that nearly 2 million people have died globally from this virus already. So like Colonel Reesbrook was saying, this is really helping us get on track of trying to eliminate such a high death rate across our globe. And then for mission readiness, it's so important that when we move forward and we're in countries where there's not great healthcare, that our service members are vaccinated to prevent them from getting seriously ill in countries where they don't have access to you know, the same world-class medical care that we have here. Yes, it's, I think it's important to remember you know, we're not just talking about the United States. We, you know, as First Special Forces Command, we have uh, on any given day around 3,000, 3,000 plus soldiers deployed to, you know, more than 70 countries doing, you know, a, a number of things on behalf of the, the nation. Um, and so I think you, you bring up a great point, Major Ruka, about uh, it's not just about here in the continent of the United States. We're looking globally uh, in our command. The very low number of, of active duty service members who have you know, died from the, the virus, died. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at two active duty over the, the large number of active duty forces based on our age groups, et cetera. You know, why looking at that and, and how we're pretty low risk overall, what, what else can you say about our population in particular? Is there anything else you, could, you can add to further drive home the fact of why this vaccine might be still an option that I want to consider? Yeah. They, it's a great question that a lot of people have brought up. Why do this if we're not really at risk of becoming that sick? My answer to that is, is do you have older relatives? Do you know someone with comorbidities, diabetes, hypertension, obesity? 
you're not necessarily taking the vaccine for yourself to protect yourself, although it will do that too. You're doing this to save the loved ones around you and the high-risk family members that we all work with um, and go home to. Really, it's about bringing the pandemic to an end and reducing risk for our whole population. Um, in addition to, like Major Ruka said, the operational factors of being somewhere where maybe your diet's not as great and your health might be compromised. And even as a young, healthy soldier, um, you don't want to end up getting COVID-19. The other myth that's out there is that even when you get COVID-19 as a young, healthy service member, that you may not have any types of sequelae. And in fact, what we're starting to find is about 5% of our soldiers after getting COVID-19, even if they have a mild case, have some degree of long-term residual symptoms. And those are things like, you've heard it in the news media, long haul syndrome, fatigue, it can be joint pains, it can be mild shortness of breath or exercise intolerance, your two mile time drops, your five mile time drops, your ruck endurance goes down. That's not a huge number, 5%, but that's significant enough to think about a formation and think about the number of people that are not gonna be able to ruck or perform PT like they could before coronavirus. So we wanna protect soldiers from that as well. So even though they may not end up in the hospital with COVID-19, they could end up having long-term symptoms, and we want to avoid that too. As far as we know, the vaccine helps protect against that as well. So, so what I've heard you say is we're not certain if getting the vaccine uh, prevents us from spreading or being carriers of the virus. Um, but then I've also heard you say that we should consider getting the vaccine in order to stop the spread and help our loved ones. How do we reconcile uh, those two ideas? So there's two thoughts on that. And, and one of them is, is early studies right now suggest that for our population who most often get mild cases of COVID-19, that the immunity may be very short-lived when you get a mild case of COVID-19. We know that the immunity you get from these vaccines is very robust um, and, and likely protective, not only for that individual, but protective in the sense that it allows the body to mount an aggressive response to any COVID virus that it's exposed to, to any, to any SARS-CoV-2. In principle, what that means is you're gonna have a much reduced window of time where you're carrying virus that you could be transmissible to others. In other words, if you don't get COVID-19 or symptoms of COVID-19, you're far less contagious during that window. So while we may not know if it still allows you to carry a little bit of virus on in your upper airway, uh, which would be the theoretical means of how even after receiving the vaccine that you may still be a transmitter, we do know that you're not gonna get full-blown COVID-19, that you're protected from that and that your body's immune system recognizes and destroys the virus. So from that standpoint, we know, and, and looking at other viruses that behave similarly, i.e. influenza, we know that that will help shorten community spread and reduce community spread. And then the other piece I'd add on that is I've had people, so right now there's a 90 day limit. If you've had coronavirus, if you've had SARS-CoV-2 and had COVID-19 tested positive in the last 90 days, you should not get the vaccine. Uh, that's, that recommendation is based on a couple of things, um, which we need not go into. The more important question behind that is, if I've had COVID-19 and I've recovered, why do I need to get the vaccine? Well, and that's what I just touched on, is it's important to note that many of our soldiers get very mild cases, and so your immune response may not be that robust. Your body may not really 
aggressively attack the virus the next time it sees it. Unlike a vaccine recipient where we have good data to show us that the vaccine recipients, their immune systems aggressively respond to the virus and, and rapidly extinguish it in the bloodstream. So based on that data, I would still advise, even though we're making folks wait 90 days after they've had COVID-19 to get the vaccine, I still recommend that they consider getting the vaccine after that 90-day window so they can have longer-term, more robust immunity. Great point, sir. Appreciate that input. Um, so you brought up a myth. Uh, let's, let's do uh, some other myth-busting. What information is out there about these vaccines that is actually incorrect, and what's the truth? I, mean, I, I think my favorite, actually, uh, and I'll turn this over to Caitlin. My favorite is that there is a uh, microchips inside the vaccine that uh, allow the government to track you after receiving the vaccine. That could be nowhere further from the truth. When you look at the ingredients on the side of the Pfizer and Moderna vials, this is actually one of the simplest vaccines we have. It's simply the carrier and messenger RNA. That's all that's going in your body. And then people ask about, well, messenger RNA, are you messing with my DNA? You're injecting DNA. No, we're not. We're injecting, this is much like a Snapchat post. So it hits your body for 15 minutes and then it goes away. Your body naturally reabsorbs that and it's gone. So then your body uses that messenger RNA particle to create its own natural immune response to that foreign coded DNA material. Um, and then again, nature takes its course, your body fights it off, your immune system recognizes it. And then if you're ever exposed to real coronavirus, uh, you mount a robust response. So it, that's the beauty of this vaccine. It's simple. It has nothing, nothing associated with coronavirus other than a little bit of a protein code, which matches the coronavirus. And uh, it's very short-lived. Uh, some studies saying as short as 15 minutes once it's in your bloodstream. Now, that said, the downside is your immune response is going to be robust. And most soldiers, most patients have told us after that first or second shot, about 50% of them have said they get kind of some flu-like symptoms. You may feel a little tired, achy, fatigue, uh, maybe even a low-grade fever immediately after the vaccine. In almost all patients, that goes away after a day or two. So it's very short-lived, easily treated with some acetaminophen or Tylenol, and uh, you can go about your business. So again, very safe and minimal side effects on that vaccine. What other myths have you heard, and, and how, you know, how can we correct them? What's the, what's the facts? So there's another myth that's out there that COVID vaccines were developed using fetal tissue. So that is a concern to some populations that are worried about that in particular. So we can say that neither the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccines contain fetal cells, nor will fetal cells used in the development or production of either of the vaccines. So kind of piggybacking off of what Colonel Reesberg said, there are two ingredients, either some of the simplest vaccines that have been created, and they do not contain any fetal tissue. Uh, so you mentioned uh, some of the reactions potentially. What about allergies? We've heard a lot about that in the news. If I have seasonal allergies, is that something I should be concerned with? What, what's the deal with allergies and, and getting the vaccine? There's a lot of concern about this because the news media has uh, conflated a condition called anaphylaxis, which is a severe allergic reaction that occurs typically in people that have a history of that. Um, many of us remember uh, as kids the, the one kiddo on the playground who had a severe allergy to bees and had to carry what's called an EpiPen, right? That's the type of reaction we're worried about. In 1.8 administration, 1.8 million administrations of the initial wave of COVID vaccines, we only had 21 patients, 21 patients out of 1.8 million that developed that severe allergic reaction. 
And in that, out of that 21, 17 of those patients had a history of severe allergy or anaphylaxis prior to even seeing COVID. So in other words, they are very severely allergic to something else anyhow. Those types of patients, I encourage to have a conversation with their healthcare provider prior to receiving the vaccine. However, if you don't have a history of severe allergies to something requiring an epinephrine pen, then it's most likely you're not gonna have any problems with this vaccine. In fact, we're seeing that uh, borne out in the ongoing safety data. Seasonal allergies, cat allergies, uh, common allergies that we all have to dust molds, allergens, that would not preclude you from getting the vaccine. Awesome, good to know. Uh, if, if we could for a minute, let's, let's talk about reproductive health. What's, uh, you know, if I'm looking at starting a family soon or uh, potentially a, a nursing mother or something to, you know, to that effect, what are some considerations? It, you know, I've heard some di different things in the media. What's, what's the truth on that? You know, thank you so much for asking about that. So pregnant and breastfeeding women are eligible to receive the vaccine. I think that's very important. They were not included in the original Pfizer clinical trials. That doesn't mean that you're not eligible. So I highly encourage you to talk to your healthcare provider about the risks and benefits of the vaccine if you're thinking about starting a family, are currently pregnant, or are currently breastfeeding. In many of these cases, if your risk of having COVID or getting COVID based on your day-to-day -day exposures is very high, it'd be strongly recommended that you do get the vaccine so you can protect yourself and protect your loved ones. Um, so if you're pregnant, breastfeeding, or planning to become pregnant, I'd advise you to speak to your doctor so you can have this ca candid conversation with them about the risks and benefits. There was a really sophisticated disinformation campaign that came out online early on about the linkage between COVID vaccine and infertility or miscarriage. So I would like to clear up that there has been no link between COVID-19 vaccine and infertility or miscarriage. Uh, there was some concern that the, the mRNA that was in the vaccine may be similar to placental proteins. Um, I'd encourage women to check out the Pfizer website. They've actually looked into this and kind of debunked this myth um, that the protein that the body creates is nowhere, not similar enough to the placental proteins to have this be an issue. Caitlin, you bring up a good point that, you know, there are, there are, a, lot of, are a lot of myths out there and, and kind of misinformation going around and your provider is probably the best person to, to speak with to get the facts and get the truth about the vaccine. Um, are, are there other resources we should be uh, encouraging folks to check out? Absolutely. Specifically for women that are pregnant or breastfeeding, I'd really recommend um, that they check out resources such as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, the Academy of Pediatrics, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Society for Maternal and Fetal Medicine. All of these major medical organizations have put out statements that actually recommend that women speak to their provider and actually they recommend that women can strongly consider getting the vaccine if they're in a high-risk occupation that puts them at risk for exposure to getting COVID. Two other links that I recommend for everybody to explore is the Centers for Disease Control, cdc.gov. There's a wealth of information about coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, and the vaccine on there. And it's important for people to remember the CDC is an apolitical organization. The Centers for Disease Control in the United States has no political alliances, um, and they are funded strictly to provide independent research and recommendations to help protect our population. Um, so if you distrust the FDA, I think you can trust the CDC. That's just my personal belief in looking at the science uh, that they promulgate. The other, the other thing is, is many major medical organizations are, are carrying COVID vaccine information right now. Mayo Clinic is one of them. 
So very reputable organizations, if you just simply Google Mayo Clinic COVID vaccine, you'll get a whole review of uh, some of the science put in, in easier to understand terms. No, that's great, sir. We're, and we'll be sure to add links to all the organizations that were mentioned uh, today in the show notes so people can easily uh, click on those links and get more information and make it easy for everybody. Okay. Can I add one more yeah, point? Um, so, you know, as a, a mother that has been breastfeeding or pregnant for most of my career, it's one of these things that women are asking me, you know, can I give this virus to my baby if I get the vaccine? And so it's really important for everyone to know that this is not a live vaccine. So there is no COVID in the vaccine that we are giving you. So there is no way that a mother that chooses to get vaccinated could pass the virus to her baby. Um, not only that, but it is possible that as she produces antibodies to fight um, COVID, the virus from the vaccine, she could pass those antibodies onto her baby. And this might actually be a way to help a mother protect her baby from COVID virus, as we do know that right now there are no studies that allow children to get the COVID vaccine. So this may be one way that a mother could help protect her family. I know we just recently posted a, a photo with a quote from uh, one of our officers here in the headquarters, uh, Captain Jennifer Vicks, who made that exact uh, decision after getting some, re you know, talking to her providers and, and looking at the research. Uh, she made the decision because she thought the benefit of getting it was uh, you know, outweigh the, the risk. Uh, exactly. So, um, no, it's a good point. Um, Dan, I think one of the other things to, as Dr. hit on, is that the initial studies on both of these vaccines were only in 16 and over. And that's the only population that's encouraged right now to get the vaccine, is if you're over the age of 16. Um, now, that's not to say that there won't be future studies to look at safety in the pediatric population, but we don't know right now. What are some of the other things we don't know? And I think it's important that we're honest with our population about that. We don't know the long-term safety or efficacy, how effective the vaccine is. We've studied it now for four to five months, so we have a really good idea that we think with pretty good degree of certainty that the vaccine is going to protect you for at least a year from coronavirus, which in terms of a population health perspective will help get us out of this global pandemic. Uh, so that's a win. What we don't know is, is will you need boosters after that from year to year to continue the, the effectiveness of the vaccine? That's unknown at this point. Also unknown in truth and full ending is, we don't know the long-term safety. Is there a chance down the road that the vaccine could have some ill effects? Yes, but I will tell you in, in general, in the history of vaccines, we know that most of those negative health effects are seen within the first two months. And that's the reason the FDA makes the, the legal requirement follow the vaccine recipients for that first two months to make sure there's no adverse outcomes. And finally, speaking to the safety of that, CDC has a robust program called the Vaccine Adverse Events um, Response System, which allows providers and recipients of the vaccine both to report any ill health effects they might have after the vaccine. So we're monitoring that day to day, and we're just not seeing any negative health effects other than those things we've already talked about, which would be for folks that have a history of severe allergies, might develop an allergic reaction, um, and that's pretty much it. So I think thus far, we're, the medical community is very optimistic that this is both a very effective and very safe vaccine. But again, we can't say for certainty because we haven't studied it for years and years uh, how, that, how those effects will be down the road. We know that there, we've talked about uh, being asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19 
what if I don't know that I have had COVID-19 and then go get the vaccine? Am I likely to have adverse effects from that? Absolutely not. And the way I can safely say with confidence, you need not worry if you are an asymptomatic and you don't know if you've had COVID-19 is because those same types of people were included in the initial clinical trials with over 43,000 patients studied. So out of that 43,000, we know there was a number of those people that were asymptomatic and had previously had COVID-19. They still received the vaccine and had all the same clinical course as, as everybody else. So very confident in saying you're okay doing that. But for those who are symptomatic, you knew they had it or some for some other reason tested positive, it's important to wait that 90 days so that there's no other confounding factors in any response you might have from the vaccine. After all of this, it's still voluntary, right? Absolutely. The message we wanna get across to people is this vaccine is available for you. It's available for us to do what we need to continue to do as an army. Uh, and, and I view it from the perspective of a physician of it's available to help the health of our loved ones, right? To prevent the spread of COVID to those who do have risk factors. Let's get this thing under control. Let's end this fight with, with the coronavirus sooner rather than later. Sir, Caitlin, thanks for being here and giving us the Vax Facts. We wanna be clear once again that the vaccine is 100% voluntary and you have to opt in to receive it. We hope this episode provided you the information necessary to make an informed decision for you and your family. Thanks for listening.